Welcome to Revere Assets, Your Money, with Danny Stewart. You never know how far the stock is going to go down. Tim Razor. Danny knows I'm a geek for all of this stuff. And Don Vandenborg. Telling it like it is. If you're seeking the best stock knowledge this side of Wall Street, you've come to the right place. I'm sorry, did I steal your stuff? No, you didn't steal any thunder. Who's handling this segment? (laughs) For the next hour, Danny, Tim, and Don will be talking investing. Investing is 90% psychological, and I love that. Trades. The market will usually overshoot to the downside and to the upside. And dumpster fires. Because it doesn't matter what you think or what I think, and it matters even less what Danny thinks. And now, here's your hosts... Danny, Tim, and Don. The market is a voting machine in the short term and a weighing machine in the long term. Who said that? Does anybody know who said that? Don, do you know who said that? Uh, not off the top of my head, but it's all right, that, I'll agree with you. That is Benjamin Graham. Ooh, Benjamin Graham was the uh, famous. He he wrote a book on fundamentals and valuation that Warren Buffett loved. Ben Graham was actually Warren Buffett's college professor, and he's known as being one of the icons for fundamental analysis and cash flow and dividends and what's a company worth and intrinsic value and all uh-huh. that stuff. Did you know that he was a market timer? There's a chapter in his book that everybody completely ignores about. Oh, 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 Don stealing my thunder. Market timer. That, now, market, Ben, Ben, the market timer. You don't ever hear about that. No. You never No, you don't. Because that's contra to what they say. Now, that leads me to my next topic, technical Versus the fundamentals, which is right. It's a great article. It's posted on our thing. And Ben, in your, we're going to discuss more of that. Mm. And I'm going to see if you roll over in your grave or you like it. You like what we're saying. Yeah, you're either in there okay? or and, and beware of the Social Security lump sum. Folks, do not call the Social Security Department for advice. You need to get your advice and know what you're going to do before you reach out to them. Because oftentimes they are mistaken for what is would be your best and highest benefit in fact a lot of well i guess i've never seen too many errors that benefited the taxpayer or the person getting the benefits whenever errors are made it's always favors the social security administration maybe i'm jaded but you know if you're making you know honest mistakes it seems like it'd be kind of 50 50 or 45 55 it'd be kind of around the middle sometimes you're wrong sometimes you're right benefiting Either one, yeah, yeah. No, nope. always benefits. They're they're gonna they're gonna figure out how to how to how to pay you less if they can. And then Monte Carlo simulation should it be banned from retirement income scenarios? Mm. That's another interesting thing. And are you accredited? Are you accredited investor? And will you still be? The regulators are talking about maybe rejiggering the accredited investor. Uh, bar and raising the bar a little bit so that they can capture. See, if you're an accredited investor, they feel like you're a millionaire. You don't. You can hire your own uh, CPAs and advisors. And if you get ripped off or get bad investment advice, it's your own fault. They want to kind of protect the the person that doesn't have a lot of money, the smaller guy. Sure. And so, any but they're moving that up a little bit. The accredited investor used to be a million dollar net worth exclusive of your home and car uh, and your autos. You know. Uh, uh, so it's all your investable assets, all your stuff. Or if you make $200,000 a year this year and for the last two years prior, or if you're $300,000, if you're filing jointly with your significant other, mm. that's the definition. So it's either, or you can either have a million dollars of assets, not counting your house and car, or you could be making a couple hundred grand or 300 grand if you're married for the last three years. That's de- currently, and they're, they're talking about moving that up and raising the are not too much, but a little bit, you know, and I'll have an article posted on that. I'm not going to go dive into that because they're still talking about it, but it's in the description, but it's in the description. Scroll down and there it is. Scroll down and there it is. You'll find out whether you're going to qualify or they're going to kick you to the curb Yeah, yeah. and not really protect you as much as they used to, because (laughs) now you're considered rich. You went from 1.1 million 
to 1.4 million. So now that 300,000 makes you a multimillion. Mm. It makes you really rich. All right. And then we're going to go to the markets and the Revere team. But first, I do have some good news. All right. Charles Schwab, where we custody assets, one of the places, yeah. is actually changing their FDIC, you know, the, the FDIC uh, $250,000 insurance. And they're going to make it so that like an individual, they can actually send it to a couple different money markets, different banks, so that it's you'll be counted twice. So you're going to get double the coverage. You get 250 twice with a clever way that they're doing it and, and, and segregating and splitting up your money market account so that you'd have that 250 twice. And that actually saves you from having to open up an account at Fidelity and Schwab so that then you get the 250 twice. It just makes it more convenient. Yeah. And, and they're ju this just came out, so there's more on that. We'll have to see that. And then we're going to get um, into um, um, the mailbag. In fact, let's do the mailbag first. Really? Really. I really. love it. Yeah, yeah. All right. So this is Nicole on Twitter. Thank you, Nicole. Hey, Dan, we know there have been some odd things going on here in the markets. And again, I know the banks must do stress tests yearly, but the scenarios they are planning this year are quite different. And having worked at TXU when Enron collapsed, ouch, ouch. and seeing the collateral damage, <laughs> I wanted to send you the report. And this is actually the Federal Reserve link to their PDF on the banks. It's about 40 pages. I haven't read. She just sent this last night. Oh, wow. So we're going to talk about this next week. But basically, it, it and she said something about testing out home prices dropping 45% and unemployment over 10% gives me pause. Nicole, I hate to tell you they're lying about the numbers anyway. So you really don't know what the real unemployment rate is. But. I said, me, this is my answer. The link on our website, oh, uh, the link is on our website, goes directly to the Federal Reserve 2023 stress test scenarios, right? Lions, tigers, and bear, oh my. Younger people don't know what that means, but here's the point. They do all kinds of scenarios. They do Monte Carlo simulation. Yeah. The same thing that the other things that don't use it for retirement planning is no good, but, but so they do all these iterations and all these different, scenarios. If interest rates do this, if they go up, down, whatever. And really the whole point of Monte Carlo simulation is to find out where you break. What at what point, how bad a recession do you need to where you start having defaults or the market craters or stock market drops 20% or whatever. So they'll run a couple three what if inflation goes this way, this way? So they so number one, Nicole, they are actually giving you all kinds of negative, really, really nasty scenarios. And they're trying to see at what point does the, the market or the or the whole economy or the people say uncle. That's really, so it's not that this, they're trying to figure out what would happen if home prices did drop 45%. If home drop prices dropped 45%, we'd be in a depression and you'd see blood in the streets. But I am going to read through that report this week. And if there's anything that catch, jumps out at me, I will let you know next week. All right. Now, Don. Would love to better understand yes, sir. you. <laughs> would better love to understand. I was actually reading a, a, an email from a client. Sound off. I yes. should have clarified. Yeah. Not you, Don. I'm reading Don. He's ready to help. Don would love to, to better understand your use of TNA and XPXL in the portfolio strategy. Would you mind covering in the weekly video? Have a good weekend. M. It's straightforward. Our strat this is Don. It's straightforward. Our strategy is to get 60% index exposure using only 40% or less of capital, meaning leaving another 20% free to, for other things, but you still have 40% exposure. And invest 20% in T-bills to collect the interest. Uh, and Don said, thanks for reaching out. You'll include the question in the mailbag for next podcast. Don. All right, Don, you're up. Perfect. It's this week's podcast. Yeah, um, it is pretty straightforward. It's just uh, leverage of uh, inverse ETFs to get the exposure using less than cash amount equivalent in the portfolio. Uh, like, let's let's give a real world example. If we're shooting for sixty percent exposure, uh, we can use uh, thirty percent uh, S uh, SSO. That's a two-time leveraged ETF. So if we bought third SSO, that gives us the equivalent of 60% of 
long in the S&P, which is the equivalent of the 60% equity allocation in a 60-40 uh, portfolio. And with the other 30%, we can put 20% in T-bills, collecting over 4% now. And then the other 10% we can keep available for hedging or for other opportunities that come up. And then the remaining cash in the portfolio, the, the remaining 40% will be used to buy leading stocks and leading sectors in an uptrend. And that's the basis for outperforming uh, the market is when the market is healthy, we can use that strategy to juice the return. So basically with 60% in the S&P, you get your 60-40 return. Uh, but with the excess cash that we have, we can put that in leading stocks. And uh, the goal is to outperform the 60-40 using, uh, using that approach when the market is in our favor. All right. All right. Now, this is another one. Team Revere. And this is brand new. So we may, if we have to go look at this later, but I think we can handle it. Team Revere. In the old days, people talked about how the markets would manipulate. I'm sorry. Let me start over. In the old days, people talked about how the market makers would manipulate the markets from overbought, oversold in order to profit from waves in the trend. In the computer era, is this still a consideration or is it an outdated thought? Dr. M. So I can get, tell you my put. So, so what he's saying is, so the market makers are supposed to create an orderly market when there's liquidity, like when it really hits the fan and everybody wants to sell mm -hmm. and there's no buyers. So it's just going down, down, down. They're supposed to step in as market makers and take the other side of the trade and be the buyer. Of course, they don't want to buy stuff that's going down either. So when it's really ugly, just when you need the market makers, it's kind of tough to get them on the phone. So they weren't really that valuable anyway. They were always in it for themselves just so we can get that out of the way, right? Okay, now, so with Apple stock or, or let's take the, old, the big board, New York Stock Exchange on the General Electric or Pfizer, they will have normally four, three to four market makers. So one stock can be Goldman Sachs, Fidelity, and Merrill Lynch. And this other stock may have Morgan Stanley, Merrill Lynch, and Charles Schwab as their market makers. Yeah. And those, those guys are supposed to step in and help make a market. As it became more, and that was when the old floor traders, you actually had the pictures of the TV. Now, when you watch CNBC, those are a bunch. A lot of those guys are just walking around acting. It's a photo op. Everything's computerized. Right. But so now it's caused spreads to become tighter. The bid ask has gotten a little more competitive. But now, what you've really been replaced as is it's algorithmic trading, and it's computerized trading. And a lot of these market makers are doing it just with bigger quantities and faster speeds. So it's not that they've gone away. They've just become more sophisticated and a little more sneaky. A little more sneaky. A little more sneaky. Don, do you have any thoughts on that? I think you summed, up, summed it up pretty well there, Dan. Every time that there is an, a, a binary event, you just watch for the algos to take out the stops at the bottom. Then they take out the stops at the top. And then we settle somewhere in between those two. And then watch for a break in either direction. But they absolutely... Uh, Everybody's naked with their stops today with uh, the software that's out there and the algos. They will hunt you down and they will take your stock. Yep. All right. So that was the mailbag. Folks, if you got any questions or comments you want a stock you want discussed or a strategy or, a, or, a, or, or you, you can just send us. You can go to Revere Asset. You can email me, dan at revereasset.com. You can just go to our e email and, and just go to up at the top right, revereasset.com, our website. Can't miss and, it. And there's a subscribe, but there's also a contact. You can just put a little message. It'll come right to me, and I will bring it up. Okay. Now, I want to talk about this Monte Carlo simulation very quickly because it's talking about um, why Monte Carlo simulation should be banned in retirement. It's kind of a, a long article. I posted it on our show notes, and it's kind of interesting, except it's got a little bit of an ulterior motive. It's really trying to hawk annuities at the back end and give, you know, guaranteed income for life and make it fun. I am going to get, I'm just going to read a couple uh, things very quickly. Given the high stakes income planning, it's tragic that significant segments of financial advisor community embraces income generation metho methodology, the systematic withdrawal plan, SWP, uh, which can be truly inappropriate for a large number of clients. And it's talking about if you, take out the 3% of the 4%, you'll never run out of money. So you save until retirement. Once you get to retirement, you do that 4% rule. You take out 4% of your nest egg 
every every year and you won't run out of money. Okay. Now it said, and this I kind of the deficiencies inherent in this systematic withdrawal were camouflaged by the unprecedented 14-year bull market engineered by never-be-seen levels of fiscal stimulus combined with nine trillion of federal Fed money creation combined with zero interest rates. Um, now we find ourselves on the downside of those radical policies. Uh, and the result is inflation, stock market losses, real estate losses, higher interest rates, extreme level of un economic uncertainty. And he talked about before these measures inevitably propelled us to asset prices upward, uh, heretofore unseen. So in other words, he made this, the Fed created this big run up with a lot of money printing. And now you're having trouble because they're going the other way. And it makes it tougher now. Okay, I get that. Then he says, you know, you divide these people into into three uh, groups. Um, one is enough that that uh, has enough money. One are kind of borderline, underfunded, overfunded, constrained. Is what he's saying. If you're constrained, it means you've got enough money to retire, but you can't make any mistakes. You can't have a big drawdown. Okay, that's kind of like that sequence of returns we're talking about. Okay, if you're unrestrained, that means you got plenty of money. Those people don't have to worry about it. They can kind of do whatever they want. And then the people that are underfunded, they're in trouble. They're going to have to really start making some changes. But he talks about the fictitious withdrawal rate uh, assumption. He also talks about the misplaced reliance on Monte Carlo simulation. Folks, Monte Carlo simulation is a good tool if you know how to use it. Mm. The problem is it gives a false sense of security like, oh, we've done a 10,000 iterations of your retirement income, and you've got an 86% probability of you, you're being successful. And that really makes people, because they see all these numbers, they think it gives them a little bit of false sense of security. Yes. And, and it depends on the input, because you get people that will manipulate that data to make you feel good, and they'll tell you things that you want to hear rather than things that you need to hear. So Monte Carlo can be diff difficult, as with a lot of these illustration showing you, well, if you just put 8% in and make 8% in your annualized, and you got to, you know, put a thousand bucks a month, then you got a pot of gold at the end of the year. Anyway, that's an Would you like to hear my opinion on Monte Carlo simulations, Dan? Sure. Yes. How many Monte Carlo simulations done in 1999 had 50% drawdowns twice over the next nine years? That's right. Well, and that's a once in a lifetime zero bear market. That's, point zero. Yeah, 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 once in a lifetime bear market twice in twice in nine years. In a decade. Yeah, yeah. Well, here, hey, modern portfolio theory, Don, assumes that the returns are under the normal standard distribution, the bell curve. Guess what? Returns are not under the bell curve. It's like a giant stepped on that bell and flattened it out, so you got much fatter tails. In plain English, that means they're measuring for the hundred-year flood but it's coming every seven, eight years. So they're way underestimating the drawdown risk in the market. Why do I say seven or eight years? 1929, uh, 70, uh, 37, uh, 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 45, 50, 50, or sorry, 53, 60, the crash of 67, 73, 1980, then in 2018, we actually started doing it again, and the Fed came in and really spent a lot of money early, and then you had the COVID bear. So they're saying that these are once-in-a-lifetime events that really happen one, twice a decade. So it's really hard to get that thing. Anyway, the whole point is that Monte Carlo, I'll give you a great story. So they asked me, my, my neighborhood asked me to go, they said, do you know anything about bonds? And I said, yeah, unfortunately, yes. And they said, because we got, we're trying to understand these things, and, and the school district is trying to raise money, a bunch of money, so we can go. But the, the money, money they're at, this one in trades were down low. They wanted to buy a ton of money, and I said, well, what's it earmarked for? And they said, well, that's kind of loosey goosey. They're just saying they they're going to use it. And I said, well, they have to have bond covenants. They got to tell you what they they're using it for. Yes. And we read the bond covenants like we're raising money for this, but we may spend it for this or that. You know, I mean, it was just wide open. Anyway. There's three big companies, Muni, one is Southwest Securities, and I can't remember the other two, but there's two, three that all do these big municipal bonds to raise money for schools, Don. Guess what? They're all in it together. So one will be the independent advisor advising the school district that's arm's length 
thing. And then the other company will be the one that's issuing the bonds that gets to do the underwriting. So both of them get paid fees. And so it's like, all right, Bob, I'm going to take um, uh, Lovejoy in Lucas. Uh, you get Alan. And they just flip-flop. Right? Yeah. Okay, so anyway, this guy comes up there with a gold diamond pinky ring and a three-piece suit, <laughs> slick back hair, and he gets up there and goes, oh, I'm so-and-so, and I represent Southwest Securities, and we've done these Monte Carlo simulations, and, 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 and oh, well, he didn't say Monte Carlo. He said, we've done 10,000 iterations. Right there, I'm going, okay, he's talking about Monte Carlo. And, and we've done this, and, and this it's going to be fine, and you guys will be able to pay back the money and whatever, and so... I kind of waited till it cleared out. And by the way, it was very agitated at the school board meeting and people were irate and they would, they, you had to write your questions down and submit it. They wouldn't even let you challenge them. Like anyway. Um, so after it cleared out, I mean, after it, he finished, I went up there and cause I didn't want to embarrass him in front of everyone because I knew he wouldn't know the answer. I walked up and I said, well, at what level of interest rates uh, does your system bank and the school defaults? And at what inflation rate, does it happen? And what, how much do real estate, because our Lucas, our real estate prices have gone through the roof. I said, at what point does a real estate decline cause you to, to have the school go negative? And he goes, well, well, that's a, that's a good question. I don't know. And I said, well, if you're doing Monte Carlo simulation, that's the whole point of the simulation is find out. You don't want to just put in all rosy uh, assumptions. The whole point is to find out what it breaks. And he looks at me and he goes, what do you do? I said, I'm a CFA with accounting background. And he looks at me and goes, oh, oh, well, who do you work for? I said, I, I'm, I'm actually, a, well, I do what you do, but I got my own company. What, what? And so I started, and he basically admitted to me that they hadn't done those. Mm. And that's the whole point of doing them. So, the, so folks, it's like a tool. If you give a drunk driver a car, that's a bad thing. If you give a person responsible taking their kid to school to a car, that's okay. Okay, so don't just because they threw out the term Monte Carlo, that doesn't mean jack. You need to know what assumptions they are and where the breaking points and how they did the testing. All right, I'll get off my bully pulpit. Now, and that's kind of the same thing with that retirement testing. That's why you got to be careful. Mm. Uh, the, the main thing is, is control the downside. All right, last thing, and then we're going to get into the markets. We're going to go to the fundamental versus technical who's right bet. Oh, yeah. But first, we're going to talk about beware the Social Security lump sum offers. Now, this is an article. It's very apropos. It's a client situation. They said about three. So these three clients have been, have been told by their advisor. They sat down with someone like me, and they said, you guys have enough. You need to wait to your 70 and push out Social Security so that you get the maximum benefit. They've all been decided to do that, right? And so because you get an 8% bump every year that you wait once you hit full Social Security age, whether that's 65, 66, 66, and three months, whatever it is, once you hit your maximum Social Security, you actually will get an 8% bump every year you put off taking it. So these three guys called up the Social Security office about four or five months, six months before retirement to kind of do this, to kind of you know get everything lined up. And the Social Security office all three times saying, hey, well, wait a minute, we can give you a lump sum of $24,000 a year if you do, or $24,000 lump sum one time if you just take this, take it now, take it now and forego that extra bump that last year. So they're going to get about $450 or $400 less a month, but they get $25,000, $24,000 up front. And so they go ahead and take that and it's irrevocable once you set it in, you're done. And so they, they meet with their advisor a couple months later, and they, they say, why'd you do that? Said, well, 24000 was a lot of money. I like that money. And they go, yeah, but if you're getting $400 a month, you recoup that quickly over six, seven, you know. The, right. the, so you got to look at the payback period. And so if this guy just lives six or seven years, he's starting to give away thousands of dollars. And if he lives to 90, he's giving away, ten, you know, a lot of money. So you've got to be careful. Folks, when my dad passed away in 2017 in November, and by the way, if you died November 30th, they act like you died September 29th and they claw back your whole November Social Security. Mm. They take it back. Whether you die on November 1st or November 30th, it's like you died in September. You don't get November. So they take the back your $3,500 they gave you, but they give you a little $250 burial uh, thing to, you know, to make it not sting so bad. Yeah. Anyway. 
But my mom, because my dad had paid in for all the time, and so she either gets her little small Social Security benefit or she gets his survivor benefit, which is much bigger. She called the Social Security office. They told her twice, oh, just wait till January 1st to the beginning of the year and then, don't, and then file. Just keep yours for November and December. So we use a Social Security lady. That's all she does is Social Security. See, if that's all she does. Call her up. She said, Danny, that's wrong. Tell your mom, do this, do this, do this. I call up, ask them to do it. They tell my mom the same thing two different times. Finally, I call the lady up and said, here, here, you do it with my mom. Just take care of it for her. My mom called me up and thanked me and said, it made me an extra five grand for those two months, three months. So how you do it is important when you file for Social Security. And here's the problem. Way, way more often than not, if you're not given the correct answer, the answer they give you benefits the Social Security office, not you as the, as the Social Security recipient. And I've seen that over and over. And I'm not saying they're not, they're doing it evilly. They're, maybe they're just not trained that well. I don't know. All I'm saying is, if you've got Social Security questions, you need to get a Social Security expert. I'm good enough to be dangerous, but I have a very, very good expert we use for Revere clients. Anyway, all right, enough said. Now, here's down to the nitty gritty, down to the markets. Technicals versus fundamentals, who is right, okay? And this is a great article to read. It says, basically, uh, I previously discussed the inverse head and shoulder pattern suggested market bottom has formed. Now, this guy always gives the disclaimer that it can change, but he said the 50-day moving average is rapidly, he wrote this a couple days ago, so some of this is going to change. Notably, the 50-day moving average is rapidly closing on the cross above the declining 200-day simple moving average, known as a golden cross. That's a bullish setup. Then he also said um, um, the market has passed through some resistance levels uh, and pushed. Uh, now he has said it is a little bit extended, so we'll probably a pullback is healthy. But he said from a historical view, these technical measures uh, have always um, preceded a continuation in a more bullish trend in the market. So he's saying this normally, what we're seeing now is bullish. He said if the bear market is canceled, we will know relatively soon. So he said it's still not quite confirmation yet, but we've got a lot of indicators showing this is getting better. Okay, to confirm whether a breakout is sustainable, thereby canceling the bear market or pull back to the previous downtrend line and holds is crucial. Such a pullback would accomplish several things from working off overbought conditions, turning previous resistance into support, reloading markets uh, re and reloading market shorts to support a move higher. He's talking about a short squeeze. Okay, so now he said a, a break below the trend line and the intersection of the 50-day and 200-day will, will suggest a breakout is indeed a head fake. Folks, we've had three or four of those just in the past four months, okay? And a retest of last year's lows is likely. So he's saying from a technical standpoint, you've just got to continue um, um, following it. All right, he says now, those who take, those of us, this is a different person, those of us who take more of a fundamental approach are left scratching our heads because the price action does not see what we're seeing in corporate earnings, meaning fundamentals aren't that great, but the market's rallying. What the heck, guys? I, it doesn't make fundamental sense to me. Mm. And so he goes on, he gives some examples, and then he says, and so it all sets up for a showdown in the coming weeks. My contention is the market is, a, this is Ben Graham's quote, the market is a voting machine in the short term and a weighing machine in the long term. So his big thing is right now it's in the short midterm, it's getting better, but the fundamentals don't look that good. So will the technicals reverse and catch come down to the fundamentals or will we have a soft landing and the fundamentals start catching up to the technicals? Because remember, more often than not, the technicals are a great leading indicator. Okay. Bull now, bear later. Again, so this is a great article. I'm not going to read the whole thing. It is a little bit lengthy. But here is, he said, um, um, he said, uh, uh, rules to follow. And these are actually good rules. He said, for the moment, the market is back to a more bullish mode. As such, we need to set our rules to navigate the bull trend till it eventually ends, whether that's two weeks, two months, or two years. Okay, that was my end of that. Cut losses short 
and cut losers short, meaning quickly, and let winners run. Okay? Emotionally driven decisions void the investment process. Okay? Like just throw throw out terms, buy low and sell high. Follow the trend. The long-term monthly trend determines 80% of portfolio performance while rising tides lifts all boats. The opposite is also true, meaning um, um, that these, these market trends will also pull down the returns significantly. Never let a, quote, trading opportunity turn into a long-term investment. Refer to rule number one, not losers quick, and, uh, and, and initial purchases and trades until your investment thesis is proved correct. Folks, here, we actually buy something and it only turns into a long-term investment when we turn back and look and say, wow, that stock actually acted right for a long time, for long enough to qualify as long-term, okay? Um, and investment discipline does not work if it is not followed. Follow your rules. The, uh, you'd be surprised at how many people don't. The odds of success move, improve significantly when technical price action confirms the fundamental analysis. This applies to both bulls and bull and bear markets. So what he's saying is like right now, the fundamentals are kind of bad. Technicals are good. That's a dichotomy. When one starts matching the other, catches up to the other, you have a little bit more confirmation of the move. You got, it's, it's stronger. Let's put it that way. Higher probability. All right. Uh, the odds of success, uh, um, markets are either bullish. Markets are either bullish or bearish. During a bull market, be only long or neutral. During a bear market, be only neutral or short. Okay, don't quite agree with that a little bit. That's not a bad point. When markets are trading at or near extremes, do the opposite of the herd. That's kind of harder said than done, but and that would be that's known as uh, uh, contrarian. Okay, do do more of what works and less of what doesn't. So, so you always want to Thanks, look at you. dude. Yeah. Thank you so much for clarifying <laughs> that. Yeah, yeah. Trades. Uh, okay. Take. Oh, wow. Wow. Traditional rebalancing. Oh, Don's going to. This is the one I don't agree with. Traditional rebalancing. Just wrap this up. Takes money. <laughs> takes money from winners and adds to losers. Rebalancing. Great by idea. By reducing losers. Folks, sometimes you're watering, picking the flowers to water the weeds. Don't rebalance on some arbitrary date just because, and don't average down on a stock. All right. Yes, the fundamentals will eventually matter, and they will matter much more than many currently think. However, for now, bulls remain in charge of the market. Again, this is a couple of days old. Set aside the idea of either being bullish or bearish. The market is either acting bullish or bearish. Once you pick a side, you lose objectivity when it's occurring within the market. Uh, how long will the technical bull run last? I have no idea. That's the best honest answer he's got right there. Folks, there's a lot of good gold nuggets in here, but there's a couple landmines. Don't average down. Don't rebalance. All right. With that said, Don, I'm going to turn it over to you, and you can talk about the, bull, the, the technicals versus the fundamentals, which is better. And I know that maybe Teddy Bear's got to leave early, so you may want to pump him up, but I'll let you lead the, the team. Yeah, as far as technicals and fundamentals, we when we're picking individual sectors and stocks, we buy on both technicals and fundamentals, but we sell only on technicals. And the reason for that is that the fundamentals will always look great at the top. Uh, and it won't be until, the market is a forward-looking mechanism, it won't be until three to six months later uh, when the fundamentals start to deteriorate, that you'll look back and see that price deteriorated three to six months prior to that. So that's our take on that. As far as overall fundamentals and macro, you know, we track it. We're aware of the headwinds and tailwinds that it can produce. But ultimately, the price and what's reflected on the charts is what's going to make the final decision for us because, again, the market is a forward-looking uh, mechanism and it's very typical that the market bottoms uh, before the worst economic data comes out and, and that it will top ahead of worst eco bad economic data coming out in the future. Uh, Zach, if you want to bring up uh, charts. There you are. 
now we're going to flip for, um, from just to technical, and technical is uh, the key levels that we've been talking about uh, in the nightly videos, and a key one was this 4100 level, which I'm showing by this parallel line here, which held for, uh, we broke out on, uh, on uh, February 1st, that was with the FOMC meeting and the interpretation of Powell's words. Uh, we actually, the pivot, meaning where we were before the data came out was 4050. So we've been kind of using that as a an absolute worst case scenario. Uh, any gains would be completely undone at that level. Uh, 4100 was tested several times after we broke out to that level and held until yesterday. And that's a short-term change in character for the market. Uh, and we got a lot more defensive yesterday. And again, this isn't us guessing about what should happen. Uh, level to level is how you take it. We, we don't predict what the market's gonna do. We don't predict breakouts. We don't predict breakdowns, uh, but the fact of the matter is that we did break a level yesterday and when it happened, that's when we take action, not in anticipation uh, of that happening. So right now we're trapped on the, the low today has been 4060. So 4050 is a key level that we're looking for there. And it's possible you break 4050 and get back above it the next day. Uh, there is also a very key level here, 4037 and 4039. So maybe we break 4050, come down to those levels. Uh, and we hold there and come back up. It's possible we don't ever break 4060 to the downside. Uh, and that's the bottom now. And if we reclaim 4100, we'll get more bullish. But it seems that that jobs report that came out last Friday kind of changed the tone uh, of what the market was looking for. That was a slap in the face to anybody thinking that the Fed was going to pivot or stop raising rates because a very strong jobs report uh, means that people are employed, they've got the money to spend. If the demand is there, inflation's not going to come down. If inflation doesn't come down, the Fed's not going to stop raising rates. And that's a massive uh, headwind to the economy and the market. So uh, we just take it level by level. It's very possible that we're in a broad trading range here where, uh, where news might push us to the bottom or the top of the range. Uh, and we'll take it level by level the same way we do with individual stocks that we hold. We had gold that was underperforming, we sold it. We had biotech that was underperforming and we sold it. We took some profits on from some things that were acting pretty well. Uh, and it's a combination of offensive and defensive selling uh, that allows us to maintain the, the equilibrium in the portfolio of flowing with the market. But for right now, uh, the bad news is we broke 4,100. The good news is we're holding 4,050, and we'll keep an eye on those levels for, and that's what will determine if we get uh, more bullish or bearish in the individual portfolios. And uh, that's a pretty quick summary, but it's uh, it's rules based, it's numbers based, it's not opinion based, and that's uh, that's where we stand as of right now, which is 11.15 a.m. Eastern time on Friday, February 10th. All right, Don, what about what about the guys? Who, does Ted still have time or does he have to go? He may have to catch a class. Ted, can you come in real quick or are you, you gone? Yeah, yeah, can I, can I present real quick? Yeah, let, 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 yep. let, yep. Don, do you have my breath charts that I sent to you? On yes, I do. Okay, so can you pull up the Which two one? net highs and net lows one? Just pull up um, New York Stock Exchange. It's it's the same commentary. Um, so in the most recent leg up, we saw pretty nice breath. Um, one of like on the days we talked, we saw about two hundred net highs on the New York Stock Exchange, which is a good sign. We get to see uh, net lows, so that that is another positive indication. Um, and these charts are as of yesterday's close um, for your information. Um, going on to the percent of stocks above the 200-day moving average on the S&P 500 and NASDAQ, completely healthy, nothing wrong. As the markets are pulling back, we're pulling back to prior resistance on this chart, as you can see on S&P 500. This is also as of yesterday's close. And then on the NASDAQ, it's, it's 
even healthier from this chart at least. Um, we we have yet to test the prior resistance around like that 60-ish, 55-60% area. Um, and then the final breadth chart I wanted to review is the NASI, which is the NASDAQ McClellan summation index. We had a super strong breath thrust up, but now it's starting to hook down a little bit, which which should just tell us to be a little bit careful, um, expect the pullback, and then evaluate how how constructive the pullback is, um, and then monitor the leaders and relative strength. Um, so that concludes my breath section, and then I just wanted to quickly um, give you guys five charts to keep on your watch list as they've been holding up extremely well and completely outperforming the markets. All five of these charts are in the conductor space. Um, the relative strength lines are at highs or even new highs. Um, the first one is ACLS. Oh, there we go. It's super extended from its pivot point, but it meets what David Ryan calls the ANTS indicator, which is 12 out of 15 days up, um, greater than 20% price move within three weeks and also volume has just been rising significantly so it meets that indicator which signals heavy institutional accumulation and also we just had an earning big earnings beat on uh revenue and and earnings um there's a surprise by 20 percent they also got it uh for quarter one of uh 2023 and then so the second name i want to share is also semiconductor name and it's algm the same theme here it's extended. Uh, what I would look for is potentially a pull, like its first pullback to the 50-day moving average. That's that's a classic add-on spot if you've missed a, this initial pivot point, which most people probably did because you probably didn't want to risk in the earnings with like an eight to ten percent implied move. Um, it's it's also a big player in the EV space with its various sensors and manufacturers integrated circuits. They also had an earnings beat and surprise, and they recently had a new CEO um, come in like a few months ago. So there's definitely an N um, new in this name. The third name is AEHR. We've talked about this multiple times on the podcast. Um, it's it's a thinner and it's a thinner name, so it's it's definitely more volatile. It's a smaller cap, but for those people who want to take on more risk, um, this is this is another name to watch. And then the fourth name is Mobileye. It recently IPO, but it's like a spinoff from Intel. It's involved in the uh, autonomous driving space, and it's, it's just shown massive power um, after its IPO. It's one of the strongest IPOs during this bear market. has yet to undercut the IPO low, so it's in its IPO advance phase. It also had a big earnings and sales beat as well, and we'll see where this goes. It's also it's currently extended, so not not a not a current buy. And then the last one is LSCC. And I don't have too much to say about this name. It's also extended, a little bit extended, but not, not as much as the other ones and has earnings in three days. So we'll, we'll have to see what comes out of that report. Its relative strength line is basically at new highs. Um, and that concludes the, my portion of stocks. Um, I think all five of these names are showing extreme strength, especially during this pullback, and they should be on your watch list. All right, Ted, thank you. Thank you. I'm going to add on to, to Ted uh, sent the team a list of the, we called it the Ted, the, not Teddy Bear, Teddy Bull 12. Uh, Ted, those five were included in a list of 12 stocks that he uh, gave us, the Teddy Bull 12. And I want to show the remaining seven really quick. They're acting uh, pretty well too, except for one, but Rambus here. Uh, also a semiconductor stock acting great, CRDO. And the good thing about this list is that they're all taking a little bit of a breather right now. So if the market continues uh, to correct and come and finds lows at a reasonable level, like preferably the 21 day moving average uh, on the S&P and the NASDAQ where we've bounced today, uh, these are prime uh, stocks to find low risk entry points on. Uh, next one is AI. This one's gotten a little bit squirrely as uh, the Wall Street bets people got a hold of this and drove it up to astronomical levels and then it pulled back from 30 to 21 and uh, you, nobody wants to get in the way of that. Uh, ONON, uh, shoe company. This one's pulled back and broke to 21. Uh, this is the only one <laughs> of that list that uh, has not uh, held the 21. 
uh, RVNC. This is the replacement for Botox, bouncing at the 21-day moving average today. ELF on a shelf, looking great, continuing to just trudge higher since its fantastic earnings report. TMDX, uh, pulling back, breaking the 21 today in a nice consolidation. Uh, so that's two that have broken the 21, and uh, Ted also wanted to add ON that we own in-house and is acting extremely well since it's uh, since its earnings report. So uh, 13 strong names there, uh, two of them breaking the 21 for the time being, but certainly have the fundamental leadership characteristics that we look for. And uh, it's a good list to monitor going forward. Uh, Michael, you want to take it away from here? Uh, sure. Can you guys hear me? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, so this week I'll, I'll be as brief as I can. Um, some of it is, is kind of complicated, but I, I just wanted to start with, um, like, a, a quote that's, um, that's kind of been a, a theme for me, um, recently. And it's, I mean, it, it, it's important, um, going forward and it, it's basically, um, it's attributed to Mark Twain, but I, I've seen some debate around whether he said it or not, or who actually said it. But, um, the quote is, it ain't what you don't know that gets you into trouble. It's what you know for sure that just ain't so. And um, listening to a lot of um, like basically where we are in the market cycle and a lot of macro commentary, it's the people that that have too much conviction one way or another that are getting themselves into trouble because there's a lot of uncertainty. We don't really know where we are. And all it takes is one bit of information that you got wrong or one flaw in your thesis that can totally um um contradict or or um yeah it can it can totally destroy your your idea and and your plan and um it's it's very important to have a, a mental framework and and a sort of understanding of of where things are generally but also as paul tudor jones says go into go into every day thinking that every position you have could be wrong because it's very possible that you're missing information that that you just don't know about or got wrong and um yeah flexibility is key especially in this market um but with that being said a few things that i think are important for for people to know in the way i'm kind of uh building my framework and what i'm looking at um i mean this could be wrong uh Economists get things wrong all the time, but there are um, a few things that historically have um, been accurate and and have have a pretty good track record. Um, but this could be the first time that they don't work, so that's why it's important to be flexible. But um, basically, the most important thing is um, yield curves, and we've been talking about these for a while. But all of the important yield inversions remain inverted. Um, and if we don't get a recession, it would be the first time in history that these inversions have lasted for more than three months and haven't resulted in a recession. And the the main ones that um, that have have a hundred percent track record are the two year to ten year, and that's been inverted now for two hundred nineteen two hundred nineteen days. Um, the three month to the ten year, one hundred seven days inverted, also one hundred percent track record. And then what the Fed says they're looking at is the three month forward rate in eighteen months. And the way the way you can calculate that, I won't I won't get into the technicals, but but basically, um, you can use like um, three month forward SOFA rate, and um, that's that's um, 125 basis points inverted, and they say that's like the biggest predictor of recession. So perhaps um, that's what they've been looking at, um, and that's why uh, Powell was a little more more dovish in his um, presser because that that's screaming um, recession. Then you look at the um, the leading index indicators and um, the leading economic indicators. Um, basically, every time a six six month decline um, has exceeded four percent, so negative four percent, it's resulted in recession. And we have that. Um, we also have flat growth in consumer spending. We got weak retail sales in November and December. Um, and then looking at the GDP report. Um, basically, GDP is composed of you've got consumption, investment, government spending exports and imports and um investment was up by 0.27 percent but um all of that came from fixed investment was actually down and inventories um were up 
And that's the worst combination for GDP because you've got <laughs> um, basically a decrease, a decrease in fixed investments and a rise in inventories. Inventory is what has always up. preceded yeah. a recession. Yeah, that that that's always uh, preceded a recession. Um, and of the two point nine percent GDP print, one point four six percent of that, so fifty percent of the increase in GDP came from rising inventories. So if you've got weak consumer spending. Um, Weak retail sales, if you look at um, consumer credit, like they're pretty maxed out. Interest payments are taking up a lot of um, any amount of spending they have. So it's just the recipe for recession is there. Whether it happens or not, who knows? And that's why you need to stay flexible. But it is important to kind of um, take that into consideration. And, and, And that's why there's so much volatility and uncertainty in the market, because people are trying to figure out what's gonna happen and no one really knows. All right. Well, so thank that, you. That's my two cents. Thank, thank you, Michael. I, I will say, uh, technically, we had two two print two quarters of negative GDP growth. So, from the classical definition, we were already in a recession, but they decided to change the definition, and so we're not in a recession now. So, I would I would say that those yield curves are still one hundred percent. All right, Don. Don, you want to bring Connor on now? Yes, sir. Connor, what do you got for us this week? All right, so I got uh, five new names from my sector that that I'm going to present today. So the first one is WYNN. If you could pull up a chart, Don. Win, baby. That's right. Snake eyes. (laughs) So this one, uh, they had a uh, positive earnings reaction. They beat on EPS sales and revenue, and it had a positive reaction. So that's what you want to see. Um, a lot of these names in the gaming leisure sector have, have been doing really well. I think it was a case of all the, all the headwinds, bad news was, was priced in already. Uh, the CEO, they said recent actions by both Macau and main mainland authorities to reopen the market gives them great confidence that the difficulties are behind them and the near term term future is super bright. So. Good to hear positive guidance from them. And I think this one, it's seen a great move off the lows and a lot of this bad news, uh, China issues, COVID lockdown has already been priced in and it's trading well well above the 200 day and it's been riding this AEMA higher. The next one is R&R. This is a name not many people talk about and it's an insurance name i was going through my sector and it popped up as it's just been chugging along and going into all all all-time highs what they do is they do uh catastrophe and specialty insurance um and so yeah not a whole lot on the company but from a technical standpoint it broke out of that base over 187 and it's been it's been moving higher ever since and looks really good and one thing that I did found on on the company was that they've increased its dividend during each of the 28 years since its IPO. And uh, next one I got is Uber. Uber just had a very positive earnings report. Um, they had $8.6 billion in revenue versus 8.51 expected. It broke out of this $34, $33 resistance, but now it's pulling back today, sitting right on the eight. So that's gonna be important to see if it can hold. But um, they're, they're seeing a lot of demand as you know people are getting out more. And despite high inflation and, and a weakening economy, they said their revenues and earnings um, didn't, didn't affect it at all. So that's a positive. And another tell when I think Uber has is Lyft just dropped 35% today off earnings, which is a competitor. So totally, totally different reactions from Uber versus Lyft as as Uber had a positive reaction and Lyft is getting killed after their earnings. Uh, next one is IBKR. This is the number one ranked name in its industry group. Uh, they have a 99 composite, 96 EPS rating, and 93 relative strength rating. This stock broke out and it, it continues to hold, so going to keep monitoring that. But they posted a higher than expected fourth quarter revenue and profit. 
Their earnings per share came in at 1.31 compared to only 67 cents a year ago. Uh, their revenue also increased to 976 million up from 603 million for the same period in 2022. So really positive results and good price action continuing to monitor that, monitor that one. And then the next one is GEO. I've talked about this one before when it had that gap up a couple podcasts ago when it had that gap up and I was talking about the consolidation and just yesterday it was an ugly day in the market, but geo was up 7% on 180% above average volume. And now today uh, we see it's forming a inside day. Um, so that's what you want to see in a tough market. Breakouts are just getting squatted back. So now it's forming an inside day, but it's coming out of this consolidation really nicely. And as, and they just recently, um, they signed a contract with Victoria's Department of Justice and Community Safety for the provision of primary health services across 13 public prisons in the state. So some positive news there and price action is looking good. So continue to watch this one. And yeah, those are uh, five names in my sector that were showing some relative strength and, and look good. All right, Connor. Ah, <laughs> uh, the applause meter. <laughs> I, I, need, I, need to, yeah. I need to start using that. I need to start using that more. <laughs> and then I, then I got one for Don. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Perfect. All right. All right, folks. So, it, listen, if, do you have anything else before I wrap it up, Don? No, good stuff uh, this this week, guys. Nice job. All right, folks, listen, if you like what you heard, please tell a friend, tell a neighbor. Just send them to revereasset.com. Up in the right-hand corner, there's a subscribe button. They can just put their name and email address in, and we won't spam them or reach out to them in any way. It's up to them to reach out to us and 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 and, and tell us they want, they'd like a complimentary portfolio review they have a topic on the show or they just want to follow us if, if you if you if you put your name in that subscribe button this podcast will automatically go in their inbox on saturday morning when whenever we send the e-blast out and then our daily mark tomorrow's insight video which kind of gives you the probabilities of what's setting up for the market what the market's looking like we do those every night the market is open for about 10 minutes. In fact, if, if they're not out by eight o'clock at night, I get these doctors, groupies calling me and saying, or texting me saying, hey, where's my fix, man? Where, get, where, Don hadn't sent it out yet. You need to get them. Anyway, um, so I got to crack the whip. But but anyway, um, um, and then there's next to that, there's a contact button. And if you want to send me a, a message, like a specific message, the subscribe button is just to sign up. Now, we also have a YouTube channel. If you just go to YouTube and just search for Revere Asset, just Revere Asset, that's it, nothing else. And you can, and, and, and this actually, this, this podcast we're recording now will be going at maybe one on Friday afternoon, even before the market's closed. And when you, when you uh, post it, Zach, that's right. so if you really want, because otherwise you'll get this Saturday morning, but in any event, it doesn't matter how you uh, consume our, our research, just so long as you do, and that would make us very happy. Anyway, you can also always reach out to any of us, Dan at revereasset.com, Don at revereasset.com, or Ted, Michael, or Connor at revereasset.com. And you can always uh, 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 call us old school at 855-REAL-WEALTH. Folks, have a happy weekend and stay safe, and we'll talk to you next week on your money. Because it's not how much you make in the market, it's how much of that you can keep.
Your Money Radio podcast covers general topics and investment ideas for research. It is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is not meant to be investment advice. If you want or need investment advice, contact your own advisors or reach out to Revere Asset Management for individual investment advice. For more information, just go to revereasset.com.